It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So we are starting the Alumni Summit this week, and at the same time, we are right smack in the middle. In fact, I couldn't even say it this way, at the end of a fall training series in Daily uh, Thunder, and it's called Daring to Do is Stanley Dale. So some of you have been here for the whole thing. If you were part of the five-week training and you're still with us for the Alumni Summit, you've heard all 19 previous, and they have been just so exciting. I mean, this is uh, one of the most exciting series that uh, I could ever even imagine going through. It's almost like one of those, you wanna finish it and then start again. It is so invigorating. And it's about, if I could give a, a summation or a thumbnail, it's about that old school missionary mindset that is willing to go anywhere that Jesus leads, that counts the cost and recognizes that it is more than worth it to spend their life uh, for the glory of Jesus. And so, in, in fact, it's that sort of missionary thinking that says, the harder the audience or the more difficult the terrain or the more unreached the people, the more I want to go. Lord, don't send someone else, send me. And so we've been going through a period of history between the late 1930s to the late 1960s in Irian Jaya, Papua New Guinea, and showing these missionaries, various ones that are going to come over and basically risk their life, lay down their life to see these what they were called Stone Age tribes reached for Jesus Christ. And this is one tough audience. These are cannibal headhunters who are oftentimes demon-possessed. It is the, um, one of the most challenging situations you could imagine going into as a missionary. And we're going to study multiples as we went through this series. Uh, and so we're going to start with R.A. Jaffrey. We're going to go through the Diblers. If you've ever uh, read the, the book Evidence Not Seen with Russell and Darlene Dibler, uh, Ernie and Ruth Presswood. Uh, we have uh, then Daring to Do is Stanley Dale. I'm going to make Stanley Dale sort of the poster child for it, even though I actually haven't spent a lot of time on Stanley Dale. Today's message is Stanley Dale, which is appropriate, right? And some of the, the five-weekers are sort of like, you've got to be kidding. It took this long to get to Stanley Dale. Uh, but he is such a marvelous character in history. Don and Carol Richardson, uh, oh boy, uh, Phil and uh, Phyllis Masters, uh, and I mean, just some great heroes uh, of the faith that all lived in this time period and worked in this terrain. And so, Today, we're going to do a deeper dive into the life of Stanley Dale, and we've covered him briefly, and I've given an overview of his life, but there's a lot of the storyline that is still missing uh, for him specifically. Uh, Don Richardson is going to end up writing the book, Lords of the Earth, and Don Richardson and Stanley Dale were contemporaries. In fact, Stanley Dale, I think, is going to arrive at his assignment with the Yali tribe uh, about a year before uh, Don and Carol are going to arrive with the Sawi tribe. And so they're going to know each other. They're with the same missions organization, RBMU. And so there's going to be overlaps. And they know each other at a, at a basic level, but then Don Richardson is going to end up entering into the storyline at a certain point. But I don't want to give why. Uh, why he's going to be the one writing Stanley Dale's 
biography, basically, if you want to say it that way. Even though The Lords of the Earth is more than just Stanley Dale, it's like a biographical sketch of Stanley Dale. And one of the things that uh, Don Richardson is going to say is that out of uh, all of history, this has to be one of the most difficult groups of people, people groups that have ever had to be reached, and that's the Yali. The Yali tribe are savage savages. So it's like you have savages, and then you have savage savages, and they are, uh, they are quite something. And so he spends the first uh, portion of the book, Lords of the Earth, just sort of setting the stage to understand what Stanley Dale is going to walk into. And then he builds the story of who Stanley Dale is. And one of his points in the book is to say that very few people in all of history would have been able to walk into this situation and pull off what he's going to pull off. And Stanley Dale was sort of an odd duck. He didn't really fit in. And he is going to be rejected, is going to serve in two different missionary societies and be kicked out. And this is going to be his third attempt. And as Don Richardson says, most people would give up after being rejected once. But then after being rejected twice, he can think of hardly anyone on earth who would keep going. Stanley Dale is the sort of guy that just refuses to stop. When he senses he has a call, he will not stop until he fulfills it. And that's a great picture of who Stanley Dale is. At the same time, why did he get kicked out of two mission societies? He's sort of rough around the edges. He's, he's not the easiest guy to work with. He's a guy that's easier to stare at in history and go, I like that guy, than it is to work alongside of him. And many of you have run into people like that. They are uniquely designed for, for a task. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're the easiest people to be around. Stanley Dale loved Jesus. And he wanted to give everything for Jesus. And he wanted everyone on earth to know Jesus as he knew him. Everything about this guy is just right in that regard. And yet he's, he's, he's rough and tumble. And as Don Richardson says, and that's exactly what the Yali needed. They needed Stanley Dale. And so we're going to do a deeper dive into a se segment of his story, which is uh, sort of near the end uh, of his, his life. And I, I don't want to give too much away. Some of you may know that he's not going to make it much longer uh, in his life. Uh, that's why Don Richardson's going to end up writing his biography. And so there's, there's this portion that I'm going to cover, and then there's another portion which is probably going to be on Friday. And it's basically the end of his life, which is very, very significant, how God spends his men. And it's hard because for many of us, we desire to be fully spent for Jesus. It's, it's a desire. It's real inside of us. And yet we're sort of like, God, not, not to that extent, you know, not where I have to experience pain, not where I have to actually, you know, go through this, 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 or this. And we have sort of our limits. You ever notice that? It's like, all in for Jesus. Well, all in. I mean, well, maybe 85%. Because that other 15% is where the risk really comes in. And I would like to sort of trim down my risk rating, and I'd like to get it sort of in the, the level that I can approve. And yet God's asking us to go outside of those limits. Say, will you trust me with everything? And one of my favorite things about Stanley Dale is he refused to put any limits on how God could use him. And he is going to make decisions that every single one of us in this room, if you read through Lords of the Earth, you're going to go, no, 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 Stanley, no, no, don't do that. And he's going to go straight in and do it. Why? Because that's the only way they're going to see Jesus in this situation. And he just doesn't seem to have that same meter on him that goes, eh, eh, eh. 
He's, he just keeps moving forward. And most of us are very well groomed with the meter. And it goes off way too early. And we are so guarded against any difficulty, any danger, any challenge, that we end up hardly doing a thing in our life. So part 20, plugged full of arrows. It doesn't sound that inviting, does it? Uh, and these are sharp arrows, bamboo-tipped arrows, which are especially designed to cut through the body and exit out the other side. In other words, they're meant to shred as they go through. Yeah, that sort of arrow. See, they're man-killing arrows is what they're understood as. And there's a difference in how you, you know, build your arrows as the Yali people. And these are man-killing ones. So there's a lie that is floating around, and it oftentimes gets inside of us. And see if I can give expression to it. This is too much for me. I can't handle this. I don't know if you've ever had that thought go through your head, but it's a famous human quote. And when those weights come on your life, when the difficulties begin to mount, and they have a tendency to group. Have you ever noticed that difficulties like to come in clumps? And they very rarely spread out like butter upon toast. They come in clumps and land in one spot in your life. And they're meant to break you. That's their goal. They want to crush you. And yet as a believer, we are designed specifically by God. One of the first things he wants to do inside of us is make us able to carry challenge. And yet we have to accept that. And to accept that, we need to nix the lie this is too much for me, I can't handle this. First of all, I would want to exhort your soul never to state that in your soul ever again. That is a lie, and I could tell you where it comes from. You know, it's one of those pit of hell types of statements. It does not fit in the Christian mind. It is not true. It goes directly against the promises of God for your life. So let me give you the truth. The truth, in Christ, you will always have supply for whatever challenge comes your way. That is the truth. So when the enemy tries to break you and, and you start muttering to yourself, I can't handle this. I can't do this, God. That isn't true. He is perfectly capable of supplying you precisely what you need for whatever you are going through. I just gave you a world-changing truth that is so obvious, and we all know it, but we need to hear it afresh. And sometimes we need to close off the lie, call it what it is, and stop meddling with it. Stop treating it as if it's a cute little puppy in our lap that every now and then we, you know, it just wants to jump up in our lap and we just want to cuddle with it. That lie kills us. It leads to self-pity. It leads to self-destruction. The truth sets us free. You have precisely what you need right now to walk through the difficulty that you're in. You could say, but Eric, you don't know how heavy this difficulty is. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it could even get heavier though too. And I don't care how heavy it is. I'm telling you the truth. God will supply what you need to carry that weight, to walk through that difficulty, to navigate through that narrow channel. Of course, that's what's so amazing about this story with Stanley Dale, is what he's going to go through is a little more challenging than what our normal challenges are. And I want you to watch how he's going to walk through it. It is truly a remarkable story. So Philippians 4.13 is Paul saying exactly what I just said. Now, this is stated in various ways throughout the New Testament. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
What is the good of such a scripture? I mean, that's, of course, you know, all of our favorite scripture. I love, you know, Philippians 4.13. Oh, yeah, I memorized that. That was one of the first scriptures I ever memorized. Well, what's the good of having a scripture inside of you if you don't use it? You see, this is a fact. It is true that no matter what thing is coming upon you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That is a fact, and you need to rest upon that fact. You need to build your life upon that fact, and you need to reason from that, which means anything that attempts to refute that fact, you kick out and you treat as hostile enemy. The untouchable Jesus. I always like this meditation. So this is a whole bunch of stuff in John, if you can't tell by that scripture reference up there. Then they sought to take him, speaking of Jesus, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. This must be frustrating for them, don't you think? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he would show it that they might take him. The enemy wants to destroy Jesus. You know how frustrating it must be for the enemy? No matter how hard he was trying, he could not lay hands on him. Now remember who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus is the picture of the body of Christ. And what are we? When Jesus ascends, he is literally forming us into the same thing on this earth, that we would be carriers of his life, his message, his attitude, his way. You see, the enemy can conspire. He can come up with all sorts of devious plots and plans. However, he cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of the body of Christ in the world. And though the enemy wants to destroy us, the enemy does not have whatever ends he desires. We belong to Jesus, who is more powerful. What does it take to stop the body of Christ? It's technically impossible. Isn't that a great statement? It's technically impossible. You see, according to the scriptures, we're going to win. So no matter what the enemy plots and schemes and plans, Christ wins and every knee bows. So even if we have hazards along the way, which are guaranteed, the word of God, the same word of God that promises we win also says that we're going to suffer along the way, but we need to recognize the enemy, no matter how much he works and plots and plans, cannot foil the body of Christ, the purposes of Christ. Hebrews 7 in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. So whether or not that makes a lot of sense to us on paper, it's a profound statement of who Jesus is and how he has come forth. So he is like Melchizedek in that he has no beginning or no ending, and then in that form, that picture of heaven, he, there arises a priest, and this priest isn't coming just under the commandment of a law, but according to the power of an endless life. That word for endless life, akatolitos, 
indissoluble, inextinguishable, unstoppable, unable to be destroyed, unable to be hindered, everlasting, endless. So we have this akatolitos life that Jesus is coming forth in the power of. And so, I mean, there's some powerful words in, in there. And now my mental picture, I mentioned this to the five-weekers just a little bit ago, that it's like that birthday candle that is like a trick candle that you blow it out and then it comes back. Like, what? Uh, and we had one of those for Hudson's birthday. We didn't know that they were those trick candles, and so we stuck them in the uh, garbage can. <laughs> the garbage can caught on fire. So you have to be watchful with those. However, this is like the torch, Jesus Christ, and you stick them in the depths of the ocean, and you're like, we're going to quench that fire. And then even in the depths of the ocean, after you think it's gone out, you're like, ha, 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 and then, how could that be? It's an indissoluble inextinguishable life. So you put it in the grave, you take it from him, and then in three days, it rises again. That's the akatolitas life. Now you need to recognize the one who came in that life is the one you are in and the one who is in you. And so as a result, there is something about the life that you have, this endless life that we know it is eternal life that we gain in and through faith in Christ, that is indissoluble, inextinguishable, unstoppable, unable to be destroyed, unable to be hindered, everlasting, and endless. And I think it's high time we sort of appreciate what we've been given. John 5, for as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens whom he will. The word quickens, I almost made this message just about that because it's such an intriguing concept. It's like make alive, make strong, make able to do. So for as the son, the father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the son quickens, makes alive, stirs unto action whom he will. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So if you've believed in Jesus and you've transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, you have something known as everlasting life. You have akatolitas life. It's an inextinguishable life that will never go out. And even if you die, you will live. And as a result, we are sharing in the life, not of our mortal being, but of Christ. This is a grand privilege that we have being grafted into our Savior. However, most of us don't recognize, we've forgotten the grandeur of what we have entered into. It somehow has lost its majesty to us. And I think it's good that we get it back. John 10, therefore does my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So, extremely fascinating statement, because, I, you know, I laid it no, no hands on him, and they could not lay hands on him. He passed right through them. And then you're like, yeah, but they did eventually lay hands on him, and they crucified him. Yeah, but Jesus himself is making it very clear. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Imagine if we entered into that same 
idea. And we recognize that we are untouchable. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are his property. Bought with a price. We do not belong to the enemy. He can't just do with, it what he, do with us what he wants. However, we, for the glory of Jesus, knowing that he has a purpose in this earth, and that purpose is fully revealed in and through us laying down our lives and allowing him to spend us how he deems fit that we are willing to lay down our lives for him, just as Jesus laid down his life for the Father. And just as that Gethsemane moment where it's just like, could this cup pass for me? That we could say, Lord, not my will, but thine. It's a unique tension that we have of being untouchables, having an inextinguishable life, but then laying down that life and pouring it out for Jesus is this the best the enemy can do? So I, this is a quote from the Ludi household over the years that I've reminded Leslie many times when we are in those dark, challenging moments where whether it's false accusation, whether it's some form of suffering, whether it's financial weakness, whether it's health, we've had all sorts of it. And if we were to compare notes, you'd recognize that Leslie and I do understand suffering and we've had exquisite, acute suffering in our life. And yet, in light of all of that, we have an enemy that wants to destroy us and eat us for lunch. And so one of the things that I've oftentimes said is, so is this the best the enemy can do? Because think about it. If, if, he, if he had his druthers, sorry to use an old-fashioned word, but I, I like throwing the word druthers in every now and then. If he had his druthers, he would eat us for lunch and it would be very painful and it would be very slow. He'd probably cut us into little pieces, right? If he had his way but he doesn't have his way. So to the degree that I am suffering, I recognize that there is still an allowance, there's still a preservation and a protection about my life, and God is supplying me grace. He is not allowing me to be tested, tempted beyond what I am ready to endure. And so I can always rest in that, and rest that the grace is going to be sufficient for what I've been assigned. What does it take to stop you? So I said, what does it take to stop the body of Christ? What does it take to stop you? It's technically impossible if you first lay down your life. So there's a little caveat in that. And that is that you are unstoppable, and the work that God is desiring to do in and through you cannot, the enemy cannot stop it. He cannot miscarry it or abort it. God will bring it to completion. That is a fact. However, you have to lay down your life to see it that way. You see, Jesus is going to lay down his life, and it's going to look at first blush that he lost his life. Whoa, the Father uh, didn't protect him, and he died on the cross. Oh, no. Yeah, but then he had resurrection. You see, there are narrow passages that we are going to go through, but we need to recognize that God is going to win through our life when we lay them down, when we give them up, the grace is going to be sufficient. We are going to have every single thing we need to walk through whatever challenge it is, and as a result, we need not fear it. So we have multiple illustrations of this in Scripture. Paul's viper, that's sort of a natural realm thing. You know, there's all sorts of hazards in this natural realm. Should we fear them? Paul has a viper latch a hold of his hand, and he just sort of shakes it off into the fire. It's like, you know, I don't need that today. Uh, Paul's stoning. Well, stoning is meant to kill someone. Paul is going to be stoned. I mean, what a, what a thing. You know, heavy rocks smashing into his skull. And he's going to be taken outside the city as if dead. 
and the saints are going to surround him, and then he's going to uh, pop back up. What is that? And I, I, I look at it as a resurrection, as, as a true healing, not as just that, oh, he was dizzied by the stoning, because it, stoning is meant to kill. They don't stop stoning until someone's dead. And so that's at least my philosophy on it. Either way, it's still very impressive. And then he goes right back into the city that he just got dragged out of. We're not done here, boys. Let's go back in and share a little bit more about Jesus. What are you thinking, Paul? You see, he's unstoppable. He's that torch being brought into the bottom of the ocean. Did we put it out? Did I think we put it out finally. Oh, it keeps coming back. You see, and then Paul's beheading. Have we silenced him? Have we finally taken this maniac and put him away? It looks like we did. And then guess what? The New Testament lives on. You see, this man still today speaks. Isn't that amazing? And he lives forever with Christ. You see, what God commissioned this man to do has not ceased. It has succeeded. And we need to remember that. That no matter what it looks like in the natural realm, God is going to win. And so as a result, whether it's a viper, whether it's stoning, or whether we ultimately have our head lopped off, shut this guy up, we keep talking. In other words, our message, our purpose is going to carry on because our, our purpose is Christ. And Christ is going to win. So as believers, we need to recognize that we have an assignment that is so grand, so magnificent, and the enemy cannot stop it. The resolution of the body of Christ. John 12. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Okay, so that's Christ, and of course, he's going to do it all perfect, right? But I want you, when you arrive at that hour, now, that hour means death, truly, but we arrive at little smaller hours, not maybe the capital H hour, you know, where we have to give up our life, but the little lowercase h hour where we have to face a fresh struggle for Christ's sake, where we have to keep moving forward, and the enemy's baiting us saying, you can't handle this, you can't take this. Come on, come on, retract, give it up. You can't just keep going in this direction. Now my soul is troubled, we say, and what shall we say in response? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Don't we realize as Christians what our assignment is? That sufferings, difficulties, challenges, oppressions, they don't win over us. But we have been assigned these, and in and through these, we consider them pure joy. We triumph in them. We rejoice in them because in and through them, the glory of God is going to penetrate into this world. If you live an easy life without suffering, the glory of God will not be seen in this earth. But to the degree that you allow challenge into your life and you embrace it, the glory of God will be seen. As I oftentimes re reference, you know that thing that says, anyone who believes on me out of their innermost man will flow rivers of living water? And that of course, is a statement of the Holy Spirit coming forth out of our life. But then Jesus on the cross is going to have his side pierced, and out of his side is going to flow a river, ironically, of living water. It's water and blood, and blood to the Jew is life. So it's life water, and it's going to flow out of his side. Why did it flow out of his side? Because he was 
pierced. He suffered. And that suffering is going to lead to a river, a river of mercy, a river of love, a river of truth, a river that's going to form us, the church. That is our birthplace. Just as the bride Eve was formed out of the rib, out of Adam's side, we're formed out of the spirit life of Jesus, out of his sufferings. This is the formation of something grand. And Jesus says, anyone who believes on me out of their side is going to flow rivers of living water. So others will be strengthened. They will see the glory of God in and through our difficulties and how we respond to them because we have been given everything we need to survive, no, to thrive in and through our challenges. John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that statement. He even knows he's facing his end. And what's he doing? He's going to love to the end. John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Lord, I want that in us, that attitude, not a fearfulness towards difficulty, towards challenge, even towards death, but that robust desire to see the love all the way to the end, to see the glory of God maintained in this earth. So we're going to go back to 1966, a key moment in the history of this island, this Papua New Guinea island. You see, something grand is about to take place. And it's going to be a revival in this territory. And already the beginnings of that are taking place. The Dani people and the Sawi people are awakening. And now we're going to see the beginnings towards the Yali. But the Yali, it's still a few steps away. And they're right at this point of antagonism towards the gospel at a very heightened level. They have accepted the Tuans, uh, the white uh, people in their midst, because well, they offer medicine, and maybe they're gods. We don't want to mess with them and you know, bring a curse upon us. And so, But this has reached a level where they cannot handle it anymore because now people are starting to believe in Jesus. And they're turning away from Kenbu spirits, which will bring curses upon them because the only way that they've been able to survive is to appease the Kenbu spirits. But this will anger the Kenbu spirits, and they know it. So as a result, there's this one uh, valley of the Yali, that is exceptionally uh, upset. And there are two young missionaries that have accepted Christ in the Yali, and that's uh, Yekwara and Bengwok. And they are actually being sent out as missionaries to tell of Jesus to this valley people. They're, they speak the same language, they're Yali, but they're hostile. And what they're, what's going to happen is it's going to be the first two martyrdoms. It's actually a significant event in this island's history is these two boys, they're not even that old, are going to be killed, brutally killed, uh, because they believe in Jesus, because they are espousing Jesus, because they have believed this, uh, this thing, this new religion that threatens the Kenbu spirits. And so these two are going to die, but these two were very, very close to Standale. They were like sons to him. And so when the news comes back, this is going to hit Stan in the gut. And there's hardly anything that will bring this guy down. But this is, this is something that hits him very, very deep. So the stunning reality of real-world loss. Have you ever had that thought that 
I can speak of the grand nature of the kingdom of heaven, and we can just swell with enthusiasm. And then we talk about the challenges of real-world suffering. And many of us, if we were to compare notes and we were to remove the lens of the kingdom of heaven and just talk about earthly suffering, it could get dark quick. What's going on in this world? Let's just talk about it as if God doesn't exist, and it is dark, and that's what the news is. I mean, there's nothing really good to bring up. It's just a whole bunch of yuck. And so we have this yuck in our life, and we have this heavenly reality. And if I could describe it as like a line, and we have a leg in one and a leg in the other as as believers. It's like half of our being is in this world, and it is around yuck constantly, pain, suffering, and difficulty. And then half of our, our life is actually in the heavenlies, where we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We have intimate communion, unbreakable with the King of Kings. We have joy. We have peace. We have endless amounts of love. As much as we desire to grab a hold of, we have access to. So imagine that this leg is like, sucks in all the good stuff of heaven, and this leg is, you know, being tortured and being whipped It's like, what a strange reality we have. Over here, we have men harming us. Over here, we have God helping us. Welcome to the life of a Christian. You see, many of us wish we could just go, (laughs) and just be all in the kingdom of heaven. God, can I get out of here, please? (laughs) You know, I, I, know, I, I love life down here, some wonderful things down here, and I'd love to live a long, whole life, but you know, when things start to go dark around me, I'd just like to get out. God, could I just get out, maybe without some big, fantastical ending, just just get sucked out, right? Just be in heaven with you forever and never have to touch this again. And yet God's design is that we remain here for a purpose. You see, he has a time, it's an hour in which he calls us home. But until that hour comes, he desires us to live with, if I could say it this way, one leg in the kingdom of heaven and one leg in this yucky earth system that is depraved and dark and is in need of redemption. You see, this isn't the new world. Jesus has prepared a new world. He has a new body for us, but we're in an old body in an old world system, but with a new man inside of us. It's such a unique tension that we have. And yet, whatever we face on this side, this left side of my body, left side, this is in the yuck world, right? Whatever this side faces, did you know that it's more than compensated with what I have access to over here? In other words, if I were to say, but God, how can I live over here on this side of my body? He says, don't you have this side? Well, yes, but, well, that's how you live. Whatever you need over here to handle this material, natural world that you are in, you have been supplied it. So as long as you coordinate and learn how to use this arm, this right arm, to grab it, this leg to go suck up the grace, then you will have everything you need for this side of the ledger. Stanley Dale says, we spent an almost sleepless night numbed with shock and grief. Yekwara and Bengwok were so close to us, it was as if our own children had been killed. So this is a, a very, very deep hurt to Stanley Dale and Pat Dale and their family. This is like shaking them because up to this point, Stanley Dale would have told you, I wouldn't think that they'd actually kill us. They threaten us all the time to kill us. They thought that they were to do it. And suddenly they brutally murder Yekwar and Bengwok. And it's like, 
whoa, they just did it. And so Stan has to respond somehow. He has to show that the God of the Bible still lives today. What does a Christian man do in a situation like this? And you're going to see how Stanley Dale responds. Stanley Dale's response, he must retrieve the bodies of his boys. So he says, he makes a declaration that he is going to go back into that valley and he's going to get their bodies and give them a proper Christian burial. And that is about crazy of a, of a model of a plan as you could get. Don't you realize, Stan, that they just killed Yekwara and Bangwok? I do. But everyone, he knows. Everyone is watching to see how he's going to respond. Does he respond with fear? Does he cower? Or does he go straight in? Stanley Dale goes straight in. So Stanley Dale is going to go straight back in, which fits him. He has stared down entire tribes with their bows aimed at him across the river, and he walks across the river and stands right in front of them and defies them without even a weapon in his hands. It's like, this is this, that guy, okay? Stanley Dale is unafraid of anything, so he's going back into the valley, and he's going to get those bodies back. Now, there's police, four different policemen that have flown in uh, to, because this is a murder, and this is under Indonesian uh, governmental law now, which is a new little feature that is happening on the island of Irian Jaya, is now we actually have law and order that is attempting to come into this territory. And so they, they fly in, and uh, they're making their way uh, through the jungle, and the main guy, the constable, uh, trips and falls and really hurts his knee. And he comes to the point where he says, of course, none of the, the policemen even want to go. I mean, they're risking their life to go, and even all the... All of the tribes people are saying, you're going to die, even to the policeman, which isn't helping, right? Uh, you're going to die because you're not a big enough troop. And uh, so the constable isn't very excited about going in there anyways. He trips, falls, hurts his knee, and is sitting there, and he's like, I can't go on. Uh, and so he tells all of them that he's going to have to turn back. It's too late. They're going to have to turn back anyways. And so Stanley basically says, you guys turn back. I'm going. And he forces his, he has a, a few different men from the village, tribes, people from the village, Christians, that are with him, and he commands them to go back. And that's where we're at right now. Luliop, who's one of his close companions in this, who's a Yali who's become a Christian, Luliop, Luliop protested again, but Stan stopped him with a look of irresistible authority, turned on his heel and marched downstream around a bend of the gorge. Luliop and his friends gazed after him, awestruck, how great must be the one who commands such loyalty, Luliop mused. Even Yali commitment to the Kembu spirits could not compare with this. The lesson struck home and Luliop would not forget it. A Christian does his duty no matter what. So now Standale is on his own, headed down into a valley uh, where all the warriors are expecting them to come. And they're all in their war paint. They're all ready to destroy and Stan is all by his lonesome. Can't, can't you just hear it in your own soul? Stan, this is not a wise idea. Stan, this is not a good idea. You have a wife, you have kids. I mean, we can think this through. Can we think this through? He knows he has a job to do, and it's actually stunning the Yali to say, who is the God that the, this man serves? Look at how powerful he is that he can command his men to walk straight into a valley, even to their death. Whoa! To all the Yali, they are stunned. 
He had almost reached the first village below the gorge when he heard voices behind him. It was Luliop leading two of the four policemen and three Yali Christians. Catching up to Stan, Luliop explained, you told us to stay with the policemen, so we persuaded two of the policemen to follow you and then stayed with them as you commanded. Stan gripped each of the four smiling Yali by the shoulders. With men like you, he grinned, this valley can be won. Come on. So now he has a small band. Again, not even close to what is needed to stand up against an entire tribe, village, armed and ready to destroy. Don Richardson uh, continues. They found a small Yali Yogwa, that's like a little house on stilts, dark and deserted among low bushes. They decided to spend the night there and continue their search next morning. So in the night, all of the tribe, they, they're hoping that because of the fog, no one has seen them, that the tribe hasn't seen them coming in, but they did. And so in the night, some of them are going out, I don't remember if it was to get firewood or something, but they were going out, and Stan was going to start cooking the dinner, so he's in the Yogwa at this time. Out of the same bushes from which they had tried to ambush Yekwar and Bangwok the previous day, the first of the armed horde crept. He moved closer to the door of the little Yogwa and hid behind a large rock, partially blocking the entrance. Looking over the rock, he could see Stan illuminated behind, beside the bright little fire. Holding his breath, he eased his arrow over the rock and aimed at Stan's side. For a moment, firelight gleamed on his shiny bamboo blade, especially chosen for killing. Then he drew his bow to full strength as other warriors behind him waited their turn. As if to oblige the warrior, Stan moved across the doorway for something in his pack. In the next instant, he recoiled, grasping and pulling a five-foot arrow out of his side. Stan lunged at the fire. He's trying to put out the fire. I'm skipping a lot of different things. He's trying to put out the fire because he's illuminated inside of a yogua and he doesn't want to be seen because it's sort of hard to aim an arrow at something that's, that, that doesn't have light on it. So he's trying to put out the fire. Stan lunged at the fire trying to scatter its burning brands. As he did so, another arrow struck his left thigh, burying itself deep into his muscle. He flung himself to the far side of the hut, seeking shelter, but there was none. Two more arrows struck him. One pierced through his right forearm, another penetrated his diaphragm and intestines. Stan yanked each arrow out in turn and then laughed at his tormentors and Yali. Run away home, all of you! You've done enough! Luliop entered the yoga and found Stan sitting among the mass of spent arrows. There, there is more to it. The, there was one policeman with him that had a gun and that uh, had a little activity. Luliap entered the Yogwa and found Stan sitting among the mass of spent arrows, his five wounds glaring red and the fire's flickering light. Oh, my father, Luliap wailed. It's all right, Luliap, Stan whispered. They've shot me for Yekwar and Bengwok's sake. We must move to a safer place. Now, I want you to evaluate how you're doing in this situation. First of all, many of us wouldn't be there in the first place. But there's something about Stanley Dale that is so inspiring to my soul, and I want more of what he has inside of me which is why this whole series is called Daring to Do as Stanley Dale. I want to be willing to go into those hostile situations. And he has been going in time and time again. He's been bit by the viper, threw it off. Bit by the viper, thrown it off. Bit by the viper, thrown it off. Now he's being stoned, if that gives you any idea of how this one's going to end. This is that second one where he rises back and goes straight back in. Right? But this is extraordinary. This is truly a remarkable story that shows you that even though one leg may be in a dark world, there's another leg that has access unto supernatural power. To everyone's amazement, Stan struggled to his feet and helped the others stow his gear into his pack. Then he set out down the trail as if immune to pain. In fact, however, every movement, every breath shot needles of pain through his legs, his right arm, diaphragm, and abdomen, but he kept walking. 
Occasionally, the trail led across slippery, slope, slippery rocks overhanging the torrent. There, Luliap and the other Yalis kept their arms around Stan, steadying him on the nearly invisible trail. Gasping for breath, Stan slipped often into potholes hidden between roots and trees of trees. Each time he slipped, excruciating pain swept over him in waves, nearly blotting out consciousness. He gasped, Luliap, leave me alone. My insides are cut to shreds. I'm dying. No, my father, Luliap replied. Come, keep walking. God will help you. And Stan could hear them praying for him, barely audible above the torrent's booming thunder. Their voices seemed to merge with an old memory, a voice from the past. What was that voice saying? Gradually, the words filtered back, forming sentences daring him to believe he could survive. There is one poem by Rudyard Kipling called If that was a basis for Stan's life before he ran into Christ. And he would oftentimes repeat it through his life. But it was the vision of what sort of man he wanted to be. And so these are the line, this is the line that popped into his head. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will that says to them, hold on. Rallying tattered shreds of his spirit, Stan fought off unconsciousness and forced himself to walk. Holding his hands, his yolly friends guided him, descending, waiting, climbing. For two hours, three, four, then Stan sank to his knees, his body trembling with pain and exhaustion. Leave me, Luliap, leave me, I'm dying. It seemed to Stan that the dark gorge had become a tunnel and he was falling into it. Despair enclosed his spirit like tightening steel bands. Lord, where are you? He prayed. Will I live or die? The answer came from within his heart, an answer charged with authority far stronger than Kipling's. You shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Like a drowning man, Stan gripped that promise with the fingers of his soul and took another step. Quoting it again, he took another step and another and another. The trail at this point turned straight up the wall of the gorge, climbing 1,500 feet to Lilligan, the first village north of the Narrows, 1,500 feet uphill. I mean, I don't know how you guys are doing here, but you, you, know, you have challenges in your life. I have challenges in my life. And yet, when, you're, when you've been plugged full with five arrows and you're bleeding out and your insides are shredded, literally, and you have pain with every step, and you've made it this far, you know, it's sort of difficult to now go up 1,500 feet up a hill. And yet, what access do we have to the grace of God? No matter what challenge you face, no matter what 1,500-foot rise may stand in front of you, do you have what you need? This is such a profound story. Because in the natural man, there is no human way this guy can go through this. Every Yali, even the ones that were witness to him being shot through with five arrows, even when they shot him through with one, they thought they had victory and they thought they had killed him. With one. That's all it takes. They got him with five. And that's sufficient because just the bleeding enough in a short period of time is enough to take down a strong man. But this man gets up and starts hiking. And he has hours and hours and hours of rigorous hiking with a pack. And he has to make it now. After four hours, he now has to travel up a 1,500-foot rise. Stan gasped. But still God's promise encouraged him. Gritting his teeth, he leaned into the climb. He was 50 years old. Oh, that's how old I am. So this is a very personal story. Weakened from loss of blood and had trekked for 12 hours without food. Yet he climbed now with an energy that amazed his followers. So I remember asking the question, I, I think I Googled it, uh, how many arrows make a quiver full? 
You ever heard about, uh, you know, there's a, a full quiver uh, idea that, that's in Christianity that it's like, well, you know, we should always make sure we have enough kids and it should be a quiverful of them, right? So, you know, these families that only have like one or two kids, I, I can't imagine that that's a quiverful, right? And so I was actually wanting to figure out, okay, well, how many arrows fit into a quiver? And I was rather shocked with the answer. I thought it was very uh, creative. When you can't fit any more in, that's when it's full. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So the answer to this one is very similar to the next question I am going to ask. And this is a very, very important one for us. The quiverful one may not matter to you. But this next one does. How many arrows can you take? I mean, most of us don't really want one arrow. Five-foot arrow into our body sometimes protruding out the other side and then have to yank it out? Oh, I don't even know that I can handle one. How many arrows can you take? What's the biblical answer to that? As many as are shot at you. You have grace for whatever comes your way. Now, in the Bible, it's called fiery arrows. Okay, so that even sounds more intense than just bamboo-tipped arrows. Fiery arrows. They have a little poison on it, too, which means when they enter your body, it's supposed to go through your bloodstream and kill you quickly. The enemy is in the business of killing, stealing, and destroying. How many arrows of his can you take? As many as are shot at you. You see, we are built of the same stuff Stanley Dale is built of. He has one foot in a natural realm, which is hurting right now and he feels weak, and he feels overcome by it in the natural. However, there's another side to Stanley Dale's life, and God's saying, I'm gonna have you live. Though you were just stoned and taken outside the city, Paul, your job is not done. So I want you to live. And as a result, Paul is going to rise up and go straight back in. In this situation, this guy is going to pull it off. It's a great story. You need to read the whole book to really understand the gravity of the story. But there is no possible way, even when he's sort of flight for life, you know, if you want to say it that way, they're going to come in and get him and fly him back out. The doctor is looking at Pat, his wife, and is just like, I am so sorry, but there's really nothing we can do. The injuries are so, uh, so severe. I mean, his whole body is torn up inside. I mean, Pat, I'm, I'm just so sorry. It's like, prepare yourself. And who overcomes this but Stan Dale? It's like, even he can recover from that. This is an amazing story, but the reason I'm giving you this is because many of us have experienced arrows. But we've fallen for the lie. I can't keep going. This is too much for me. It is not too much for you. You have everything you need to keep going. That is the truth. You have a grace that is sufficient to the task. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You see, a fiery dart could hit you in this thigh. But on this side of your life, the spiritual side, you have a shield that defends you against the lie that says that is too much for you and you cannot keep going. You see, that's the fiery arrow that actually stops you. It's the lie. It's the lie of the enemy that wants to defeat your soul. The enemy can touch your body, but he cannot touch your soul. 
The enemy can try and ravage your natural resources, but he cannot steal from your, your spiritual resources. Don't let him con you, but repel all those fiery darts of the evil one with that shield of faith that you possess. You have grace for whatever flies your way. If you live, you show the triumph of the gospel. And if you die, you show the triumph of the gospel. Standale is going to live. He has had so many vipers jump out and grab a hold of his hand and he's shaking them off in the fire in front of all the Yali people and they stand amazed. And then he's going to be plugged through with five arrows and he is going to pull off one of the most amazing human stunts this world has ever seen. And all the Yali are going to take notice. All the men that sought to kill him are going to stand in awe. Who is this guy? And they do think he's a god. That, that is their own only conclusion, which is really fun. It's exactly what they thought of Paul when he survived the viper. Because there's only one who can actually sustain someone in that, and that is God. Stanley Dale's not a God, but he knows God Almighty, and he trusts God Almighty. And I, hate, I don't want to give a spoiler away, but he's going to die in the near future. Not from these arrow wounds. That's what's ironic. Not from these arrow wounds, but he's going to die in the near future. And even then, there's going to be triumph in it. So much so that the Yali people are ultimately going to be one for Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 12. Now this is typically talking about a thorn, and, uh, which means a sharp pointed object. And so I, instead of putting thorn in here, I'm going to put a bamboo tipped arrow. Doesn't that seem appropriate for our message? A bamboo, a bamboo tipped arrow in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Is this Paul the Apostle speaking or is this Stanley Dale speaking? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When does the power of Christ rest upon you? Well, when you have a bamboo-tipped arrow in your side. You see, we don't want bamboo-tipped arrows inside of us any more than Paul did. He had prayed three times and it would be removed. Lord, spare me from bamboo-tipped arrows. I don't want them. And yet... If you do receive a bamboo-tipped arrow in this side of your life, this natural man side of your life, you have supply from the heavenly side that is more than sufficient for you to demonstrate the power of God in and through that situation. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Truly, there is a spiritual side to your life that cannot be touched by anything that happens over here. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. You are preserved. You are untouchable. You are like that Akatolatos flame that even when it's brought down to the bottom of the ocean, it comes back. You do not fear pain, difficulty, challenge, even death. Every single one of those things is a means by which God will bring forth a greater grace into your life. The missionary motto of Stanley Dale Going enthusiastically, sharing courageously, serving sacrificially, suffering joyfully, dying triumphantly. With each one of these messages, this is 20, there's been a prayer. So we call these Stanley Dale prayers. And so I want to go through these, and I tell you what, this is just a great list of prayers to be praying. Number one, Lord, prepare me for the heavenly call. Number two, Lord, refine my taste buds for all heavenly delicacies. 
Three, Lord, season me, toughen me, and prepare me for all difficulty. Four, Lord, may I be preoccupied with that which preoccupies you. Five, Lord, may I uncover that which is in the thicket for my Salwe tribe. Number six, Lord, may I be a doer and not just a hearer. Seven, Lord, show me clearly that I am never out of your sight. Eight, Lord, may I stand when others sit. Nine, Lord, fill me with the spirit of boldness. Ten, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Eleven, Lord, burden me with what burdens you. Twelve, Lord, show me my role in this grand adventure. Thirteen, Lord, convert my weakness into strength. Fourteen, Lord, reveal your power to this generation. Fifteen, Lord, may I decrease that you might increase. Sixteen, Lord, here I am. Send me. Seventeen, Lord, bring back the old school readiness. Eighteen, Lord, build that heavenly doggedness in me. Nineteen, Lord, may fear never again have say over my life. And twenty, Lord, may I grasp the fact that in Christ I am unstoppable. Father, may we see it clearly today. And may we recognize what Paul means by your grace is sufficient. Lord, may we know it and may we walk in it, recognizing that that lie of the enemy that says we can't keep going, we don't have what it takes, Lord, may it be replaced with the truth. We have all that we need for life and godliness. We have everything required to walk this out for the glory of our King. Everything to make it across that finish line and to give you glory and to make you famous in this earth. We ask this and pray this and declare this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.